Blog Talk Radio. Good morning out there in Blog Talk Radio land. I'm just going to go right in today and drop a good word in your spirit. And that good word is from Leo Buscalia, and it is, Your talent is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to God. And again, that's your talent is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to God. And yes, you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show, Off the Shelf. And I want to welcome you to this Saturday, the last Saturday in July. A lot of kids are going back to school here in Georgia next week. And then in other parts of the country, some will be going over the next few weeks, all the way up through through Labor Day. But summer is wrapping up, you guys. And it's a good time to stop and reflect. What beliefs do you need to let go? Are you on track? What's holding you back? What do you need to do to get rid of some of those blocks that you can move forward? And also, if you've been in ruts, and it's easy, I've at times in my life been in ruts, like I feel like I'm just spinning on a hamster's wheel, or you've been down a long, long time. This is a great show for you to tune into this morning because our guest has written a story that's in an anthology, Arise from the Ashes. This might be, at that time, is always perfect for us to do that. Whatever you feel pulled you down could be a relationship, you had to say goodbye to somebody, could be a, a major life change. It is always time to arise from the ashes, and we're going to look to our guests to tell us a little bit more about that as we go through today's show. But before we get there, I want to ask you, and I ask our off-the-shelf listeners this so often, do you love mystery? Every every book, every story it's not for everybody, and and some they just aren't for you right now. It just the the connection. It, it, no matter how hard the author or the movie producer or the songwriter or the preacher would try, it's just not that message for you right now. But later you may come back to it, which is another beauty of a book. The, a book is timeless. So when the time is right for you, you can go back and find and connect with a book that was written over 100 years ago. But how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Are you somebody who likes to find out who did it before the author reveals it to you? And even more importantly, how important are relationships to you? Do you see how you are helping to shape other people's lives? You are helping to shape and influence other people's lives, whether you mean to do it or not, you are doing it. And how other people are impacting your life. They might even, you like, oh, you know, that would make someone so mad or upset, so I'm not going to do it. That person just impacted your choice, which will impact your life. And then we also do that to other people. But in this in this story, Love Pour Over Me, there's a complicated father-son relationship, and it starts out when Raymond's a little boy when we're generally like clay, we're easily to mold, and he grows up, and the, the, the impact of the relationship between him and his father impacts the relationship between a lady that he meets at college, and she's meant to be in his life, but he's already been influenced just just as she has, that no, the slate is not clean anymore by the time you get to college. But he also meets a group of friends, and they're there through the thick and the thin, but one friend is involved in the mystery. There's a murder mystery in Love Pour Over Me. If you value mystery and relationships, including complicated relationships, I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. You can get a copy in print or in ebook format, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, anywhere uh, print books or ebooks are sold. And if you don't see it on the shelf in regards to a print book, just ask the clerk to order a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney for you, and they can order a copy because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. So I encourage you to go out and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me and let me know how you enjoyed the book. And now... We have arrived at that moment. Let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And just from my my brief time interacting with her this morning, she has a, a lot of clarity in her spirit, and I'm excited 
to to hear what she shares with us this morning. And our special guest this morning is Sydney. I hope I say her last name right. Sydney Della Torre, and Sydney is a former store manager. She has a certification in Christian studies. She is also certified in cosmetology. That was one of my childhood passions. And her skills include leadership, community outreach, and public speaking. On LinkedIn, Sydney shares that her desire is to be a part of something that lends itself to the betterment of others while inspiring herself to be to be a better her. Now, Sydney is also an author, and she is a contributor to the anthology, Arise from the Ashes. Let us welcome, welcome, welcome Miss Sydney Dilatory to Off the Shelf. Welcome, Sydney. Thank you. It's so good to be here. I'm very excited to be here. It's, it's a pleasure to have you here with us. Before we go forward, I like to, and if you don't have now, that's fine, I like to uh, share our guest's website link with, with our listeners. Do you have a website link where people can find you I online do. that you can share with our listeners? I do. And it just went up, so I'm, I'm like, because you may know I'm a brand-new author, so this is all new to me. I've written before, but this is my first publication, and we were encouraged to do everything with excellence. So the website just went up. It's Sydney Delatory. Um, oh, I lost it. Is it dot com? Uh, yeah, I think so. SydneyDelatory dot com. Okay, and, and we can look it up. And and but if it's just yeah, your name, we can find. Yeah, you Google it. Yeah, it's just it's just author Sydney Delatory, um, and dot com. Sorry. Author Sydney Delatory dot com, and that's A U T H O R S Y D N E Y D E L A T O R R E dot com to our off the shelf listeners. Author Sydney Delatory dot com, and you can bookmark her. She's just starting out in her career, and congratulations to her for that. And and you can keep up with her as her career continues to expand, and she does more writings and more speaking events. You can say I was there from the beginning as her as her career uh, continues to grow and expand. But it's a pleasure to have you here with us on Off the Shelf, Cindy. The first few questions I ask every guest, so our listeners can get a little backstory on our guests before I just go right into the to the questions. So can you tell Off the Shelf listeners? Sydney, where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up. You know, I was um, I was born in Chicago, and uh, we lived there till I was in about the fourth grade. So uh, we moved to California. We moved around quite a bit in one year of our life, and then we finally settled in uh, San Jose. And I've been in California ever since. My childhood and my life as a young person was very traumatic and very sad. And, you know, there was a lot of abuse. A lot of people can share that testimony in their life. But ours was very significant in our home. And, and, and we dealt with a lot that, you know, children shouldn't have to deal with. But moving forward, I found the Lord when I was 26. And um, he introduced me to the love of my life. And uh, prior to that time, I had already started a family through various relationships prior to marriage and prior to finding the Lord. And uh, now I have three kids of my own who are adults, and then I have uh, two grandchildren. Oh, congratulations. So you have brothers and sisters. You're not like an only child. I do. I have a, I'm the middle child, which probably says a lot about me, but I have, I'm the middle child, and I have an older sister, and then I have a younger, a 13-month-old younger sibling, uh, and he's a brother. Oh, close, close. Oh, close in age, close in age. Well, you guys had each other coming up with what what you went through and I'm told that's a that's a blessing. Now how has your business background, Sydney, how has your business background, uh work, your 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 work experience, you're new to writing, but how has your business background helped you as a writer so far? Well what I would say is um I, I'm a very creative person. And as far as uh, when I talk to people or look at a resume and stuff, I don't think I have a very impressive resume because um, the creative in me gets bored easy. So I tend to do things that 
picked jobs in my business history that I did well at and had a level of uh, success at, and then I found something else that interested me. The way that works together is it gives me a, a wide array of experiences with different people and different backgrounds, and, um, and that allows me to be reflective as far as writing and stuff. That allows me to be reflective in the writing because it allows me to draw it in to the story and hopefully allow my audience to relate to the characters that I'm writing about. In this particular case with this story, this is a true story, so it's about my life experience. So that, you know, that's a little different. I don't have to create any characters in that or anything, but um as I'm penning a work of fiction right now, I see that that's coming into play where it's lending itself well for me to be able to pick up little nuances and maybe different situations that I've had experience with and weave those into the story through a storyline. Ah, and then so your your career also letting you know, uh, helping you to give you some contrast to know what you want to really want to do. And then you said introducing you to different people, which can help you. If you go into the novel writing, the story in Arise from the Ashes is nonfiction, but if you go into novel writing, you'll have that background as you build out uh, your characters. What did you, we know what you're doing now, but what did you dream of becoming when you were a little girl? <laughs> That's not a fair question, because I don't think as a little girl, <laughs> I don't recall having these big lofty dreams of positive things happening in my life. I lived in a world that was so unpredictable from day to day that it was just about survival and um, getting through that day. And, uh, you know, when I said we had a very traumatic childhood, we had an extreme childhood. And, and, you know, it's had far-reaching impacts on us. But, um, and I'm sorry, I just, I forgot where I was going with what question you asked me because I got a little emotional. What what did you dream of becoming when you were a little girl? And you said you really didn't have. I didn't have dreams. It was just about surviving my childhood. The thing that I identified most with and what I longed most for was to get out of my family of origin and to have peace and happiness. That was what my big dream was. And as far as, like, pursuing a career, I had the type of father who told me what I would do and what I wouldn't do. And when I went off to college, he literally said these words to me, I'm sending you to college to find a husband. So it took me a while as a young adult to figure out what it was that I dare to believe for because I never dared to hope for anything positive in my life because my life experience told me expect the worst and it's probably going to even be worse than that. So when I came to the Lord and I started seeing who I was through his lens and understanding that my life had value and worth, I started daring to hope that maybe there was things I could have that I didn't think I could have before. And in that dream, it started with family. It started with a husband. It started with my children because I didn't have that. And then from there, um, I dreamed to do other things, you know. But I, at the point I found Jesus, I got really involved in the church. I was always doing uh, drama or youth leadership or something like that. And that's where my heart and my passion lied was in helping other people. And I discovered that about myself early on. Ah, ah. Oh, oh so, so see, and this is a, a blessing in uh, uh, you being on the show and a rise from the ashes. Even if you start and it looks impossible, if you keep going, you'll see that God always had a plan for your life and just a little bit of belief. And God can can do a lot with it. Now, how old were you when you knew that you wanted to be a writer? You know, I can remember that I felt that the Lord had for me to write a story. That was just in me. That, that like, not just that he had for me to do it, but I had a story to tell. And, and I always intended to tell the story of going through my childhood and surviving it. And I started doing that back in... Um, I remember sitting down to do it, and the week I sat down to do it was when 9-11 happened. So that's how long ago I started this process. 
And and I can wow. remember it so distinctly because it was such a big event that happened, and I, obviously it just stopped me in my tracks, <laughs> and that's what took my time. But it's taken me so long, and the story has changed and progressed so much from that time because a lot of time has elapsed. You know, back then when I knew I wanted to tell it because I believed there had to be other people that needed to hear, you can dare to believe there's a better life for yourself. You can you can have hope when you place it in the right person, which is, of course, Jesus. You know, that's what was in my spirit, and that's, and, 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 and that's what I felt like I was supposed to do. Now, I got encouragement to do that along the way because I would write, like little skits and plays, and I was contributors to things, but I never published before. So I had been, you know, dabbling in this area, but I'd never done anything to the level of this new book, you know, as far as being published. But but so it's been in my spirit for a very long time, and I've allowed things to derail me to get to this point. But you got here. <laughs> but you got I here. Got here so, so, I got here. Yeah, so... So kudos to you. Now, how did you, Sydney, how did you get involved with Arise from the Ashes? How did you even learn about the anthology? And what was that process when you, the early process of getting involved with it? Okay, well, Paulette and I um, have known each other for quite a long time. I used to babysit her kids. We used to be neighbors. And then, of course, life took us our different directions, and uh, I moved back to the area. And right around the time she she re- was releasing her first book, I remember thinking, I want to support her. I'm going to plant seed in this because I do believe one day I'll write a book. So I remember getting the book from her and telling her, I'm seeding you because one day I'm going to write a book. <laughs> and I believe it's going to wow. come out. Yeah, and, and me and her fa- friends on Facebook, and I saw this little thing about do you have a story to tell? Have you come out of something? You know, if so, and she she gave her um, explanation about the project she was working on, Arise from the Ashes, the anthology, and she's like, let me know. So I messaged her, and uh, she sent me back, you know, all the requirements, the writing requirements, and all that stuff, and I actually declined. I actually said, you know what, I don't think this is a fit for me at this time. I'm about to start a big, two big projects right around the corner and I don't think I can take on another and I was in the middle of three projects so (laughs) Paulette simply responded to me with um, I think initially the word count was like 2200 she's like are you trying to tell me you can't write 2200 words and I think if you talk to me for just a couple minutes you can tell I I can come up with words (laughs) so so just that little bit of a challenge (laughs) the lightheartedness of it kind of took the um you know, like all the fear and anxiety that I had put into my head around it, you know, and I did, I did have a big upcoming deadline. My daughter, you know, I told her, my daughter about the project. She said, you need to do this. You've always said you're going to do a book, do it. So in the beginning stages, you know, uh, Paul, it's very clear. She's very excellent with communication. Everything's laid out so well. And she's very clear <laughs> about what all the expectations are. So we all go in it. Uh, you, you write your synopsis about what the story is, and then um, you hear whether or not you're approved. Now, I did hear last weekend you guys were talking about it when she was on, and she said she had never intended to turn anyone away. I never knew that. I never knew that going into it. When, when, I, when I heard that, you know, I got accepted, I was just so thrilled. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, the process has been, it's been just, I can't even put it into words. I would encourage anyone to do it who hasn't done it and has reasons like, oh, I can't do the book for this reason, because, like, what I realize, it's like, it's like you're going to go swimming, right? And the first time you go swimming, you don't want to dive into the deep end. It's scary. It's overwhelming. It's a lot. But if you have someone there holding your hand who's been swimming, and they know how to swim, and they know what to do, and they say to you, I'm willing to take your hand and make this jump with you, it is a lot less terrifying. And she knew all the parts of it that I didn't know, you know, the editing, the publishing, the everything. And so that made it a little less daunting for me. Ah, you know what? In the in the end of process, that's and another thing that uh, Paula shared last week was this is something for our off the shelf listeners who might want to write a book. Is this is a good way to get started as a writer? Uh, you generally will, like you said, like twenty two hundred words. Your word count will be smaller than a full length novel, and then also you have other writers 
and the publisher of the anthology who are helping to promote the work. So those are also um, good tips. And one I would share with somebody is never pay to be in an anthology. You're going to contribute to it. You'll have that professional editing. And then you and a group of other writers will market the book. You won't be out there helping to market it all by yourself. It's a good way to get your name out there. And then like somebody like Paulette, she has connections to get you on radio and get you on blog tours. And that's something that when you go out with your own book, you can you can write down, oh, okay, when I go out on my own book, I'll be on Off the Shelf and I'll be on this one and on that one. And that's a good launch, too, as you go out on your own as an author. So those are just a few tips um, to share. So and I thank you for what you shared, Miss Sydney. Now, what's the title of your story in Arise from the Ashes? My story is titled Hope Exists because, as I've already told you, I I know where my hope comes from and who I have to place it in in order to have it. Hope is, I'm sorry, can you repeat that again? Hope exists, E-X-I-S-T-S. Ah, hope exists. Wow. Yeah, you know, and there are times in life when it gets so dark that it's it's really hard to believe that. That story for, and I, and I, I hope and pray that story finds the right readers, because you can you can read it and appreciate it, but for those who it's right for, who no longer believe yeah. in hope, that's that's when it uh, that story can be life changing, life changing. So tell us about your story, hope exists, uh, that you wrote for Rise from the Ashes. Okay, well the the part of my life that I shared and. And it was really hard, you know, to fit it into that, those many words, even when we got an increase. But the, the part I share is from uh, an event that took place in my life 11 years ago where um, I went through a series of painful events, and, you know, overcoming everything I've come, overcome in my background. I already had that instilled in the person I was. But then we moved to a new community and when we moved there, we, you know, part of the reason we moved there is, oh, we wanted to serve God. We wanted to please God. We wanted to be a light in the community. My husband's sister had broken her neck and became a, a quadriplegic, and we wanted to go to help oh. with that situation. And so we went there with the best of intentions, with the biggest optimistic spirits, and we, we ran into so many obstacles once we got there. And one of the big obstacles was um, my son got molested, uh, when he was in the care of my best friend and her oldest son had done it to him. So it was very hard and very painful because not only had I had to go through the heartbreak of my little boy being molested and he told me on Easter morning that that had happened to him and we just happened to be on vacation with the people that this had happened with. So it was very traumatic oh, and there was a lot of fronts fight on. I happened to love this boy who did this to my son, so that was very painful. Um, we moved through the process. CPS got involved, you know, which is never an easy thing. Um, but I think God was glorified through it as far as the way we handled it. Every, we, we ended up forgiving everyone. We even appeared in court to plead for this boy um, because they were, his punishment was going to be very severe because my son is cognitively delayed. And uh, because of that, the punishment was more severe. So we moved past that, and um, then I was helping out my sister, who's a drug addict, and she was out of rehab. And when she came to our house, uh, a few days after she showed up, a man, I think he was from rehab, showed up. And then I couldn't get him to leave. And my husband worked out of town during the week, you know. So I, w- I couldn't get him to leave. And before he actually ended up leaving he actually terrorized me pretty bad. He put his hands on my daughter and he brutalized me. And everything combined, it all just became too much. My husband being away during the week, me dealing with this, me dealing with my son. And I just imploded. I basically imploded. I, I started having a mental breakdown, but I didn't know it. I knew something was so wrong with me, but I didn't know what. I was 41 at the time. I thought maybe I was having a midlife crisis. You know, I did say maybe I was having a breakdown. I didn't know. I just knew I wasn't functioning the way I used to function. I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't think. I I stopped functioning at work. My assistant manager did my job for me. I couldn't function. 
And then I got to the point where I just had no hope and, and I was in so much pain and I just wanted everything to end. And my best friends recognized that and they put a call into my family and said, you need to do something for her. And my family's resolve with that was we need to get her to a mental hospital because we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. We know she's off. And that turned into a whole event in itself and me not trusting them because I didn't understand why they did that. I wasn't allowed to go home. I somehow managed to convince these people I wasn't going to kill myself. I had to be released to another individual. And I got so depressed. I just couldn't even drive. One day I was trying to drive to my daughter's school and I couldn't stay awake. And when I got there, her friend saw me sleeping in the car and knocked on the window and I told her my dilemma. I can't, I can't stay awake. And she looked at me and she said, what do you want? And um, I, hadn't, I hadn't been talking about drugs, but I knew she was. And she gave me something. She dumped her whole purse out and she gave me something that looked like rock salt. And she told me to sniff it. And I, the only question I said was, is it addictive? And she said, no. And so I did it. And within, and this is not an exaggeration, within seconds of doing it, I felt good. A feeling I hadn't felt and I didn't know how long. I felt like everything was going to be okay. I actually felt jubilant. I was happy. And, and the only thing that had changed was the ingestion of that drug. And so that began my relationship with crystal meth. I didn't know that's what it was. I got addicted to it within the first use. They say you get addicted within the first five uses. And then the person that I was before the breakdown, then even at that point, was going to slowly diminish and disappear over the next 15 months. I would become the craziest addict, you know, that I could be because I just lost sight of who I was in him, and I allowed the pain to consume me, and I tried to take care of it in my own sick state, and it just didn't work out. So then the story goes on where people, where God just wouldn't let go of me, and God pursued me, and God would use strangers to talk to me, and people were saying, you know, I went to a church one. I couldn't divorce myself from the Lord. As mad as I was at him, and I was mad at him for what happened to my son, and I believe that's the point my heart hardened and I turned away from him, um, I couldn't stop talking about him. And, and so one Sunday I went into a church, and I went up for prayer, and the pastor said, prodigal, go home. And then, I mean, I just had events wow. like that. So I finally got to the point where, again, I was at the end of my rope, and I wanted to die, and I was going to split my wrist, and I was sitting in a hotel parking lot because I had ended up homeless. And I had a um, blade in my purse, but I had no money. I had no gas. I had no nothing. I had all my worldly possessions in my car. And I had the, wrist, uh, the razor up to my wrist, and I was crying out to God. And I was saying, you know, no one loves me. No one wants me. At that point, I had, I had lied and done so many despicable things, like unimaginable things, that no one would even listen to me anymore. I, you know, it's just like I, I took advantage of every person in my life, and they were done with me. And so I was feeling pretty bad for myself right in that moment, and I was crying out to God. And I'm like, there's really no reason to live. There's no one who loves me, no one. And so the maid started pounding on my window, and she's like, I called the police, and, I, and that filled me with fear, and I took off. I fell asleep. I remember what the Lord said, go home. And that's where I went, and that's when my, I had a big, huge dispute with my husband trying to get me to leave. And while we were waiting for the police to come, my youngest son, who had been the one who had been molested, was getting home from school. And it had been about a year now, and, it, and he had grown so much. And that's when I first felt conviction of, I shouldn't be here. What have I done? My pain is nothing to his pain. Look at him. And that's when I felt like I should leave. And he came over and he put his arms around me. And all he saw was his mom. He didn't see the drug addict. He didn't see the failure. He didn't see the liar. He didn't see the thief. He just saw his mom. Oh, bless I'm you. Sorry. Bless and you. he told me you know, and he loved me. And that's exactly what I needed to hear. I needed someone to tell me they loved me. And then he whispered in my ear, Mom, are you going to come home now? And from that point, I stayed, and God just moved in miraculous ways, Denise. He moved in ways I, I'm so unworthy of what God 
has done for me. Uh, and 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 we, you are worthy, because God God makes no mistakes. You are worthy. I know people often say I'm unworthy, but that's in I think the uh, the what they call the false self. We're looking at the that's generally what moves through the world. But what we really, really are as God's child, God knows we are worthy, and that's why God does it. And not not the us that moves through the world and drives a car and goes to work, but the real spirit of us, God knows, oh, no, you are worthy, and that's why God w- does do these things. This Your your story, you know, if when people hear stories, uh, and, and there's people who've gone through some horrendous, horrendous, Things there's a book and I'm still after yet to read it called Laugh to Tell and a lady was locked in a um, I think in a bathroom with some people in a village and uh, they came through uh, like these tribal wars and just slaughtered everybody in the village and what she did to maintain that and to try to keep a, a, a mind of love or uh, I read a book years ago a child called It which was extremely moving. And then yes. um, those ladies locked in the house in Cleveland. You think about these things, and you're like, how do people, how do you get through this? So the title of your story, Hope Exists, and you're yet another, like, witness uh, that what God can do, even through the worst or the worst that, that can that can happen, how you can come out of it. But I, but I want to ask you, based on what happened to you and then different people, you may have met in your life that you've seen just, it seemed like they're trying with all their might. We've had a, a guest come on, domestic violence, one just barely uh, got out of with her life. But um, it's, it's just the awful stories you think your heart goes out to the person. And she did want, this woman was a Christian, but her husband was very sick. But in these in these types of situations, when you're in the pit, can you can you say with confidence that hope does always exist in every situation? And I'm going back even a book called Night that I read based on a uh, Holocaust years ago. The man said they were little kids playing in the street, and off they go to the concentration camps. They had no idea where they were going, and it changed everything. So in these types of situations, um is it? Would you say that really, really, honestly, hope always exists in every situation? And why would you say that? You no, know, I think you bring up a really good point. There's there is so much darkness and pain and destruction in the world, and and you know, I can talk from my personal experience. People have often said to me, because before I published. I've gone around speaking. I've shared my story to women's groups and stuff. And, and, you know, before being a drug addict and being able to share this, I would share of my childhood and the, you know, rapes I've experienced and stuff. And people would always say, how can you believe there's a God when you went through so much trauma, when all that happened to you? How, how can you have faith in a God that would allow that to happen to you? And, and that's where the hope comes in. The hope isn't in me or the people around me, it's in him. And you're saying, can I honestly say in every situation that it exists? I can honestly tell you when you're at your darkest place and you're in so much pain that that's the only thing you can see is the pain. That's when hope doesn't exist. That's when you lose your hope. But you're losing hope because the hope of Jesus Christ never fades or diminishes or goes away. It just gets really hard when you're in that tunnel and you're being, well, that we have an enemy that comes after us, you know, and he doesn't have any problem putting an extra shovel of dirt on the, you know, on the casket, you know. So, so it's very hard to remember and to hold on to the, to the truth that there is always hope. But what do you do when you don't see it? What do you do when you're surrounded by death? What do you, I mean, that's a very good question. That's an excellent question. But I know in those darkest moments for me, God never left me. He never abandoned me. He never turned his back on me. He never did. And I know people will say, well, that's well and fine for you, Sydney. But but when I'm in pain, 
I can't pick up the Bible. I can't do this. And it's true. You, that's the last thing you really feel like doing in most instances. But God has a Holy Spirit, and that Spirit can minister to us. God has angels, and those angels can minister to us. And you know what? We are the tangible presence of God. God resides within us. So God, just like he did in my case, will send beacons of hope. He'll use words through other people's mouths. He'll, he'll give you gifts. He'll give you love. Like I needed to hear in my situation, someone tell me they love me because I hadn't heard that in so long. And at the point when I got to the house, and I was like, I don't deserve to be here. I need to leave. God was in the midst of it. God sent me there. And the thing my son said to me when he got, the one who got inflicted, the one who should have been hopeless, came over and told me he loved me. God was working within him. So God will find a way to get to that person. Sometimes, unfortunately, Sometimes, unfortunately, people lose sight of that. And it is when you're in the when you when you are in the pit, and there's a there's a story in the scriptures, and you can look through history books for people who may not believe in the Bible, because um, I don't think God is limited to our re- re- religion. Right. Uh, God is so so beyond that, but. There's a story where the the one prophet said all he could see was the trouble. He said, we're going to be defeated. We are outnumbered. And the other prophet who had more, I think, mind discipline said, the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw, oh, no, we're coming out victorious. So sometimes when we're in situation, all we can see, all we can see is the trouble. Oh, my God, I've been there. You just, all you can see is the trouble, like this, this, this is this ain't gonna do nothing but get worse or stay as bad as it is. And we pass people every day who might be living with that belief, might be living with it. And then, if you can just pray, God, open my eyes. And just a little bit, something happened where you can be willing enough to believe that you're wrong the way you see it now. You might start to come out of the situation. I know people who come out of stuff that people swear you can't come out of, and they've come out and stayed out. <laughs> people have said you they can't nobody come out of that. But they've come out yeah. and stayed out. So it, so it is possible. How painful, Sydney, as a writer, even when I, I'm writing novels, it's, it, the, I always tell myself, I'm not going to put myself in my novels. None of me will be in my novels. <laughs> and then I go back and I reread them, I'm like, oh, my God. A part, a part is there. Now you wrote a nonfiction story. How tough was it to look back at those painful experiences and revisit them, and and write about them as you were developing the story? Hope exists. What was that emotional experience like? Oh my gosh. Um. First, I just have to say, I just adore you. I just love what you just said right there. And I'm like, oh, yes, I relate to you. You're so cute, and you're making this easy on me. But <laughs> when I wrote that story, um, the one thing that really pushed me through was I had a deadline. I work really good with deadlines in my life. You know, if I have to do it, I'm going to get it done. Leave it to me and let me have no deadline. It's probably not going to happen. But um, I think what was hard about it was I had a lot to say, and not all of it needed to be put in the story. So as I'm sitting down and I'm reliving that part of my life, a lot of stuff's going on that paper. And then I'm going back and I'm rereading it, and I'm like, okay, this doesn't need to be included because this is just – it was something I needed to get out. It was something I needed to express, but it wasn't something that I needed to share with everyone, and it wasn't something – Maybe that even glorified God, but it was something I needed to share and express. I think the writing was the easy part for me because it was my life story. You know, it, it was something I lived, so I had firsthand experience. I wasn't creating characters or anything like that. Um, the hard part of it for me was <laughs> was the editing and making sure um, – I was responsible with what I was saying for everyone involved, you know, not just representing my needs in the story or my pain, but that 
every person that was introduced in my story, I respected them, whether they were someone who offended me or did something to me or they weren't, you know, that I did that. It it was hard. That was the part that made it really hard was making sure that I was doing it because at the end of the day, I wanted to do it with a sense of excellence. And, and being it was the first thing I published, um, I wanted to get it right. I just wanted to get it right. So, so it was hard. There was a lot of responsibility involved. And day, there were days when I would stop in the middle of writing and just have to cry. Because mm. yeah, I think writing is very uh, lethargic. And I, 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 I'll, I encourage people if they can keep a journal or something. And some psychotherapists also encourage people, if you can just write, put it in a journal or poetry or just get it out there. We need to tell our stories, even if just to ourselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's so important, but it's almost like we have to do it. Now, you said hopefully this is your first published piece, but have you written mm-hmm. other articles or poems before you wrote well, Hope I, Exists? I, there was, um, I've written for different things. I've written plays and skits and stuff like that. And I also was a contributor. There was a, we started this uh, teaching material for um, elementary school children. And what it was was to deal with the um, family of origin issues. Because at that time when I was dealing, I, I hadn't entered the drug addiction world yet. I was dealing with the brokenness of my childhood and abuse and, you know, all this molestation, all that stuff. So we were trying to reach children while they were still in school, when this stuff's active in their homes, and offer them a place to go after school. We got in, got an after-school program, and we created um, a, a, a literature, if you will, to help kids, and we implemented in it biblical principles without directly using the Bible because we were in a public school forum. So we could go back and talk about things in a safe environment, introduce biblical principles, introduce that to them. Um, and, and that was really good. And that was really rewarding. And I thought I was going to do something more along the lines of um, educational materials. But then uh, I just, you know, that I was able to do because I was partnered with a very good author who this was her passion, you know, and we saw such good fruit from it. So that, you know, as you, far as you, writing and stuff, that, go ahead. No, no, no. Go. So you did plays, and you were involved yes, in schools and, and things that went on. Yeah. You are a very good guest. You're, you're, um, you have a lot of, uh, I would say, clarity, and uh, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know if it's confidence or courage. And a lot of times, people don't, they don't see in themselves what other people see, but. Um, uh, that might be another avenue eventually. You, you never know. We, you keep expanding and your life keeps going. You may go into radio or television. You, you never know where where your life is going to lead. Um, but you have a lot of clarity, and, it, and it's uh, um, either it's courage or something that comes through when you speak. Now, how has getting published in Arise from the Ashes, how has that changed your life as a creative person well i think it's interesting because i kind of refer to my life as before the event and after the event and the event is of course the drug use and coming back from that and and the reason why i want to talk about this is because at the point that i went into rehab um, after being on drugs for over a year so much weight i went from 165 to 92 pounds and so I was severely malnourished, and I would go days without eating and stuff. Well, the, the whole point of me telling you this is I did brain damage. And they kept telling me my brain needed to heal from the drugs, which took about two years. And um, my brain didn't heal. And I, I couldn't remember simple words like and and but, and I would drop my kids' names and all that stuff. Um, and they told me I did too much damage through the malnutrition for my brain to come back, which that I think was the most devastating thing for me personally that I went through during that time because the only thing I ever had confidence in myself was that I was a fairly resourceful person and that that I, I was a little bit smart and I could figure things out. And when they told me that was gone, it threw me off. Now, so, um, so 
through the process of writing this book and getting published, uh, my whole, okay, this is going to sound funny because people have different reasons for writing books. I've always wanted to write. I've always wanted to publish. At this particular time, when this came across my path, my number one goal was to complete something, to do it well, and to do it unto the Lord. I just wanted to get through the process because before the event, I didn't struggle with that. After the event, I had a hard time completing things, you know, because cause you change through, I changed through the drug use. I changed through everything that happened, but God has restored me and God has brought me back. And so you say I have confidence. That's the one thing I don't think I do have, you know, because I've been so broken and torn down that I don't trust, I don't have any confidence in myself. If I come across as confident, it's because I have confidence in him. So this became a project between me and God for me to be able to say I can actually do something from beginning to end. I can do it well, and I can do it unto you. Because before the event, I was so busy. I was speaking. I was doing all kinds of things for the Lord. After the event, I've had opportunities to speak, and I've had opportunities to write different things, but I haven't had the confidence to move out. And this is what this has done. It's opened this door to say that I can trust God to take me the rest of the way because I've lost the ability to trust myself. Well, you know, you know, and I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, I'm listening to you, as I'm sure our other off-the-shelf listeners who are tuning in live right now, and those who are the many who will tune into the archives to, to, listen, to, uh, to listen to the show. I had never. I. I. It's, it's so odd when you said that when people talk about drug use, you never think that it could affect your brain and some people permanently. That is something that you. There's generally money. Uh, you don't want to become mean or 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 homeless. That's the stuff people when they talk about drug addiction. You never hear people say you could literally mess up your organs. Permanently, I've only heard one other person say that, and that was a guy. Um, he played in the the guitar in Guns and Roses Slash. He said, I read his, uh, I think it was his autobiography years ago. He said that he still struggles bodily, even though he doesn't take. Uh, uh, he was on heroin. He said he doesn't take it anymore, but he said, oh, it changed his life. And that's a thing that a lot of people they don't hear that. Yeah, you can, you mm-hmm. may come off for some, but you might have messed up. Some organ of yours, you don't you don't hear that, and maybe if that message gets out more, some people maybe will think twice before they um, get started doing doing a drug. Now, do you plan to link? We have less than fifteen minutes left in today's show. Do you plan to link your Christian ministry with your writings? I know in your story, hope existing arise from the ashes. You've done that. Is that is that part of your your plan or your purpose? And why and how do you uh, plan to do that, if if so? You know, I want to be able to reach a wide audience. I really do. And I think that there are people who are in the midst of drug addiction or they have family members who are in the midst of drug addiction and they don't know Jesus and they don't know God and they don't know that there's hope in him. Um, and, and, you know, I'm going to just be honest. I don't have all the answers right now. I'm trusting God to direct me in the way I need to go. But I believe so many people need to be reached. And, like, I don't have a problem walking up to a homeless person on the street and talking to them. But how do I bridge to them the message of hope if I don't talk to them somehow about God? Because, I mean, it's a good question. I'm, 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 I haven't worked out the details of it yet. I'm just, I want to be able to reach a lot of people, but I don't want to cut myself off because they can't relate to me because of God. But I know that that's the only hope I really have. That's the only thing I can really offer them because I know I've lived it. And I'll tell you, out of the 35 people I went to rehab with, all of them relapsed and no one got back on. But I was, you know, in there, they all had a higher power, quote, you know, in quotation marks, but they didn't believe in Jesus Christ. You know, I do believe that. That's the hope we have. I think, though, people get Jesus Christ in that relationship and what he, what that's about mixed up with religion, and that, that makes people mm-hmm. very fearful. You know, I think there's a very gentle way to do it that isn't like you have to become a Christian, you have to do this to receive God's love, because God doesn't 
do that. God meets us right where we're at. But if I Mm -hmm. can introduce that to them and say, this is the path I chose, you know, this is how I got through it, and I know that this really was effective for me. Do I, do I, is my life all sunshine and glory right now, girl? No. I still have my challenges. I really do. But even with those, I have to realize who my source is. And, and for me, that really is the only way. So I don't know how to share my message without sharing that, but I'm open to whatever God has for me, and I do know he'll direct me and lead me and show me how to do it. But I have gone in you know, to public schools in different venues in the past and shared my story where I wasn't allowed to speak about God. And, and God used me and did it, worked through me to do it in a way where I didn't, I wasn't allowed to speak about him and the message still got across. So I do think there's a way to do both of it. I don't think I can tell you specifically how that is. I just have to be open to it. Yes, yes. And the, and, and, and and a lot of times I think the, our greatest ministry comes when we're not even speaking. So it it just living our lives, but that's so that's yes. so true. And then and then the thing too to uh, off the shelf listeners, you never know who's tuning in on purpose or by accident is um it don't be afraid to make mistakes. Uh, I I know a lot of times in life I think maybe most people uh, put on a, like a mask and and act like everything's okay or they, they never feel down or anything. That's not true. There's no human alive who fits that. That person does not exist. They just exactly. maybe appear appear that way. But uh, so, but don't be afraid to make mistakes. So I would I would encourage anybody in communicating with God or whatever name you give uh, Christ. Don't let the fact that you don't want to make a mistake keep you away. If you make a mistake, just go back, stay there, and talk talk to the Lord through it. You're gonna make mistakes. We we're all gonna make mistakes. Don't let that derail you. I don't care how bad the mistake is. I think that's what causes some people to go away and not come back. They feel like they might be rejected because they made a mistake. We all do. And uh, then then the, and then the blessing, like your story, you're sharing, is 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 an unmasking. Because so many of us wear masks, the unmasking that here I'm gonna let you see the mistakes I made and and how the Lord brought me through it. Rather than I'm just gonna let you see me ministering and and going to church, and I'm not gonna let you know about my mistakes. So the the more we unmask, I think that's also helpful to to people. Now, why is it important not to let disappointments define our life purpose? So let's say somebody came through. I, I saw many things in Atlanta. There's this uh, sex slave industry is really big. It's hidden, like I'm talking about wearing a mask, but it, it goes on. Or it could be prostitution. It could be so many things. Somebody's hiding. They might be hiding the fact that they're in domestic violence and they constantly are being abused, or they're they're the abuser, and they hide it. So nobody even knows what's going on. They go out in the world like normal, and then they hide the, this, this wrong. Why is it important not to let these, if we are in these bad situations and we come out or we're still in them, why is it important not to let this define us, not to let it define our life? You know, I, I think that it goes back to what you were saying before, too. I mean, we can't be afraid to make mistakes. Because I know, looking back over my life, it seems to me where I've had the most success in areas of growth has been through the mistakes. Because I think I think when we make mistakes, what it does is it allows us to take the mirror of those mistakes and hold them up to ourselves. And if we're really being honest, we can look at the things we did and we can improve ourselves. We can say, okay, well, this is what I brought into that situation, this is what I can change about myself. It gives us that mirror during those times. But it's important not to let those times define us. Because if I were to, this is how I feel. If I were to go through the rest of my life, now I know there's a lot of groups out there and they introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Sydney. I'm an addict. And, you know, I used to have to go to those things for rehab. And I remember I used to sit there and I used to think, I don't want to define myself as an addict for the rest of my life because I'm not going to be an addict, you know. I'm going to be whatever I'm going to be, but I'm not going to be an addict. I don't want that to define me. And it just always hit me wrong, and I'm not trying to offend anyone because I know people, 
you know, had that school of thought. But for me, for Sydney, it just hit me wrong. And it took me so long to get out of all that crummy decisions I made and to become this other person and work on myself and make amends. But I got tired of being known as that Sydney who did those crazy things, that Sydney who told those lies, that Sydney that, you know, was a drug addict because because that wasn't who I am now. In fact, I had a girlfriend I had to cut loose because every time me and her got together, she would bring up my past. Oh, you should have seen Sydney. She had a mouth like a sailor. You know, whatever it was, she had no problem bringing it up. And I pulled her aside one day and I said, you know, when you do that, I can't relate to that because I'm no longer that person. I I haven't been that person in, in 10 years. But you should try to get to know the Sydney I am now because you might actually like her. But I can't relate to that because that's the person you want to have a relationship with. I'm going to have to move on from you. And and that's, that's the truth because all of us, no matter if it's a mistake or anything else, we're all works in progress. We're all evolving. We're all moving towards something else. And if we allow those things to define us, then we're saying this is the extent of what I can be and what I can become. And that's just not truth. It's not truth whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God. It doesn't limit us, and it doesn't say this is all we can be. There's always tomorrow, and we can start today, and we can start from here. There's always an opportunity to do things differently. We just have to decide to do it. So we can't allow, we can't be defined by our mistakes because, like you said, I'm worthy. It's hard for me to receive that sometimes, but I am worthy. You know, God sees me that way. If I were just to build myself up on on my life and my mistakes, I, I really would have no reason to go on, you know, but I can't allow that to define me. I have to have hope that there's more for me, and the, and I do. That's, this is so good, and thank you for sharing that. Now, our, as we come down, we've got less than five minutes left. Are you working on any other books or stories, any other creative works? And if so, can you give us a glimpse into what you're working on now? Well, I'm working right now. I'm, I'm penning a work of fiction. It's uh, titled Undone. And um, basically, again, it's it's about – you know, you have a story about relationships and how things are moving in the midst of these relationships, and there's a mystery in it, and you follow along. And I'm very much into relationships and how we have impacts, how our lives impact other people's lives, whether we're aware of it or not. And we can go through life thinking, you know, that we have no value, no worth, no anything, but just the movement through life creates ripples, and we reach other people and touch other people. Uh, my story has to do with um, how how God can help us overcome, but how we all have a plan and a purpose, whether we realize it or not, and how we impact people around us for good when we think it's bad or for bad when we think it's good. So it, re- it reconciles that. It's a journey of a woman who's had a hard life, and how she, you know, resolves it and doesn't mm. let her pass her. When when do you think the book will, will be on the market? I know we encourage our listeners, again, author Sydney Delatory to book, keep up with her and bookmark her page so you can know when this story will be out. But when are you, when do you think it will be out? Is it a, a year or two from now when people can expect yeah, to see it on I the have market? an 18 18- yeah, I have an 18-month commitment on it, so I'm working on that. But I also, you know, just in day-to-day life, I take care of my grandkids regularly, and I take care of two disabled adults, too. So I'm I'm a busy woman. So my it's an 18-month thing, but maybe I'll get done before then. <laughs> okay, okay. And where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of A Rise from the Ashes? You know, they have it available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble's online. And um, it's also available paperback and e-reader. We we have we have been honored to have Miss Sydney Delatore here. I t- tell you, I think back over the thirteen plus years been hosting off the shelf. We have had guests on here from all over the world, and everybody has an amazing, an amazing story. And we've had people dealing with from anorexia nervosa, bulimia to and, and some they don't haven't dealt with a major issue, but we've had I'm, I mean all guests of backgrounds. Everybody has a fascinating 
life. Everybody does. So we we've we we we're just honored to have Sydney join us on our long list of of guests who have taken their experiences, whether fictional or non fictional, and shared them in in story form. And again, Sydney Del Toro, I want to give you her website URL. She is she wrote Hope Exists in the anthology Arise from the Ashes, and her website is authorsydneydelatore dot com a u t h o r s y d n e y D E L A T O R R E. Author Cindy Del Toro. You could also just uh, search her on one of the search engines and she should come up. But I encourage you to bookmark her because she's going places. You want to keep up with her novel when it comes out and whether she does launch into radio or television or what she does next. But just keeping up with, with what she does. So we want to thank her again for being here with us. And please go get a copy of Arise from the Ashes. There are seven, if if I remember correctly, seven different stories. So seven different people have a one story in the anthology Arise from the Ashes. And and they're unmasked these women unmasked and let you see themselves unmasked, something we don't often do when they share their story and you can be inspired and empowered and motivated and it may change your life in very, very good ways. Remember, Arise from the Ashes. It's available at Amazon and other book retailers. Thank you, Sydney. And as I always tell our listeners, and I'm hoping that we will truly grasp this one day, you are phenomenal. You are incredible. You are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself Sydney, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Thank you.